welcome to Success at Scale, the podcast that covers business stories from experienced entrepreneurs and startup founders on how to translate business ideas into business results. I'm your host, Greg Stein, and today we're going to talk with best-selling author and researcher, Don. Don is uh, just an awesome guy. He's uh, He has an author of a book called The Code of uh, executive and high altitude leadership and has been featured in the Wall Street Journal and USA Today as well. He's got a whole bunch of great stuff to share with us today and I'm excited mm -hmm. to learn with you. Uh, Don, thank you for joining Success at Scale. Welcome and uh, tell us a little bit about you. Well, let's see. Uh, how much time do we have? <laughs> <laughs> I, I was never supposed to be doing you know, helping CEOs uh, develop companies. I was a planetary physicist at MIT, and then I ended up uh, getting involved with human studies. That took me to Hopkins, and I stayed at Johns Hopkins to do uh, my graduate work there. And that's where I got um, in touch with uh, people on the MBA executive uh, program. Yes. And they started complaining about management theory failure rates, and I didn't know what that meant. So I began doing research uh, on the scholarly databases, and there was a lot of issues. So they asked me to see if it could be a biological phenomenon. And so I started doing expeditions around the world to study different uh, cultures and air species and uh, started publishing. They started liking it. So I've done about 2,000 executive workshops, <laughs> and uh, we're still learning. We're still um venturing out there to discover more things. So most of my work has been to grow companies faster using um, uh, anthropological and archaeological techniques. Well, that sounds pretty flipped out, man. You've got it. You got to tell me more like how, you know, tell us, tell us more about how, how you think about this or, or what you've learned. Um, I've learned that, you know, de depending on, you know, where I am in the world, even in lost civilizations where, um, they've developed on their own without any inter interaction with the outside world. We tend to organize uh, pretty similarly. So I think there is a lot of biological leadership. And when I go on to uh, um, address high failure rates of um, leadership development or strategic planning, um, a lot of it becomes, at least from the CEOs that I train, and I train about 700 CEOs a year, uh, somewhat uh, awakens, I think, things that CEOs thought were true, but maybe they were talked out of it because mm. of the heavy analytical approach a lot of our schools take. So when we introduce things that, you know, like on strategy, it's like, why, why did the strategic planning fail at such high rates? You know, our, our autopsies show uh, mainly it's because they're tactics. And mm. why are they tactics? It's because we get seduced by analysis. And, and then we see companies that startup and in an industry and they they violate all the thought leaders all the industry experts they violate the advice of all the management consultants and somehow they dominate their industry hmm. you know in their lifetime and I'm, i was curious like why does a how can a company violate the experts the consultants and yet dominate so quickly and that's where we began to do our research and we began to see the same phenomena happen in civilization for thousands of years. Um, and, and what it came down to was intuition. In other words, they weren't, weren't out analyzing the, the moves of the competition. They were out intuiting the moves of the competition or they were believing something different. And so I enjoyed 
studying that and it gave us better ways to uh, do strategic planning differently. And when we started testing it, companies started growing five to 10 times faster. And they liked that. <laughs> We'd like that because it was validating our science. Um, so that's just one example of uh, discovering something, you know, in our species and applying it. Are there things that you've learned like that certain companies or certain leaders are doing uh, innately uh, or, or that have, they've learned, um, you know, something that they've adopted that's made them perform better? Uh, or are there ways, you know, for us or our podcast listeners to things to adopt that we should be thinking about? When Oxford University gave me access to this ancient CEO training manual, that was capturing 700 years of wisdom. Um, I found that one of the most insightful things that that CEOs have done um, from this type of approach is uh, is learning how to die properly. <laughs> all right, all right. <laughs> and uh, it and what we started doing, I thought, you know, when I first got this manuscript, it was like, you know, centuries old. And I thought, geez, this is not going to go well. <laughs> but what I found out is the samurai, even though they're famous for their physical suicide experiences, um, it was really death of the ego. Right. So we started training executive teams on how to die properly using these, these uh, samurai techniques. And their strategic execution rate went up like three times. Nice. In other words, their decisiveness, their... Um, you know, decisions that would have taken weeks only took a matter of hours, as an example. And we started noticing what was happening. And so, um, yeah, so I put an online course called Becoming Samurai for executives that they want to learn how to become samurai. But it all comes down to, um, you know, how, how to how to let die or how to kill what's in your life that's stopping you from moving forward. Right. But you do mention this word ego. I, I find that fascinating that, that you kind of went there so early in our conversation, because that's something that I seem to run into, you know, quite consistently, you know, especially with inexperienced leaders, right? You know, it's like ego comes and plays such a, a big role, but it also seems to be a, a real stopping point for many people's growth. Yeah. Um, in this workshop, I do this like three hour workshop with CEOs. I've done a couple thousand times. And, um, and so I'll train about, like I said, 700 a year. What's interesting is that that is a consistent pattern I try to address, but it, it's not new. I mean, the ego thing um, was used to be called the evil spirit. Mm. And what was documented is the evil spirit would infect the executive and project this world of fear, whereby selfish behaviors were, were appropriate. And this is why a lot of culture change programs fail and a lot of leadership training fails is until we unhook fear that's induced biologically, people will always revert back to this dysfunctional behaviors. And and, and I know the professional services industry hates, hates it when I, I teach this, but I'm just acknowledging what I'm observing. And, and uh, what we found is that when you can unhook that evil spirit, uh, it things change dramatically. And so in modern terms, we call that um, the, the, the ego instead of the evil spirit, because Freud helped that along. But um, people still don't, still don't know why it's there. You know, like, why is the ego there? It's, it's, it's a term, but what's its function? Right. And um, because I'm a scientist, I get attached to, I've just been really grateful to have, um, 
interact with a lot of brilliant people in various areas of study. And this, the area of evolutionary genetics and evolutionary psychology were really, really big help because it helped me understand what the purpose of the ego. And once we understand how the function, now we can unhook it. But most management consultants and experts don't, don't study evolutionary psychology or genetics. Um, but uh, it was it it makes sense. I mean, I've like I said, I teach this to hundreds of CEOs, and they get it. It's genetic warfare is is best conducted with selfish strategies. No, that makes sense. I mean, let's talk about you know fear a little bit more for a second because that's mm-hmm. an interesting one in itself. Right now, you know, there's a there's an economic downturn that's either full swing or looming or wherever we are in this, um, and you know. I, every day I wake up and you read the newspaper and, the, you know, what do you see? Fear, right? It, it's just right. constant. You can't escape it. And then you bring it on board and you start thinking in this way. Uh, and then it becomes a self-fulfilling prophecy. And it's super negative, right? Mm-hmm. Um, how do you recommend, you know, to someone that's listening right now to like combat the fear that's going on in their mind uh, as they go throughout their day? Well, I don't know if there's a way to eliminate um, something that we're expecting to see as a possible threat. I think the from the greatest strategies I've seen and and that we try to help develop in companies is your your plan, whatever plan you have, is not going to work. <laughs> so, <laughs> I love that. You know, so uh, when I was working with Black Hawk Down, uh, uh, Matt Eversman, who was the key character in the in the uh, in the story. Um, it was what I learned from him was really, really, um, helpful because, you know, they black Hawk down was like an epic disaster. It was just, you know, everything went wrong, but what I learned from Matt and I'm, I'm, and I'm really blessed to be able to connect with, with a lot of just brilliant people. And and Matt was one of them is that, um, you have to understand no plan is really going to survive impact with reality because the enemy has a vote. (laughs) True. And they may not vote on your plan. So um, the way to survive is adaptability. Yet when we go in and take on new clients, we find that they have no adaptation strategy. Mm. In other words, they have this annual planning meeting and they have these plans in a binder, but there's nothing about what do we do when this doesn't work because it probably won't. Right. And so I would suggest that the fear is probably not going away, but your capacity to respond and adapt should be constant, should be like, you know, a constantly changing thing, because we don't know what's going to happen next. I mean, I, you know, COVID hit and like one of my clients was um, a popular off-road product uh, company, and that was their thing, but they bought this, this pub and this restaurant pub thing. And uh, yeah, COVID hit, so like, oh my God, how are you guys doing with the pub thing? They were like, Oh, we're making more money than we ever had. I'm like, wow. what? You know, it's like, yeah, it says it's a carry out. So we get one chef and somebody manning the window. Makes Overhead sense. went to zero yeah. and we're selling more food than we ever. I thought, wow, now who could predict that? Right. Right. So I think when we can not be attached, coming back to the samurai, let die what's holding mm-hmm. us back Yeah. to create, you know, what's next. That's, I think, where we got to go. Uh, it makes perfect sense to me. I mean, you know, in, in my world, you know, we, we kind of stay focused on, you know, the, the power of the positive and removing roadblocks where, 
where those exist, right? And and not mm-hmm. getting sucked into some of the biases or or the or the negative. But but it's it gets harder as as this time goes on, right? First it was COVID. Where's it all gonna go? Who knows? Right now you got right. this economic situation. Where is that gonna go? Nobody knows. It's just this time of extreme uncertainty, yet you know, we have to kind of fight those biases and and negative thoughts, you know, otherwise, right. you know, it doesn't work. So it really comes down to, you know, in my view, you know reinvention to a certain degree, like, and just reinventing yourself consistently. And I'm sure you have uh, some thoughts on that. And I, I think that that's actually a great segue into your, into your books. Um, mm-hmm. So you're the best-selling author here, you know, I'm just super happy to have you on this, on this podcast, but you know, you're talking the title of your book, uh, if I get this correct, is the code of the executive and high altitude mm-hmm. leadership. Tell us about uh, those two, uh, those two books. Oh, um, well, the, yeah, the code of the executives start, and that was uh, published back in the 90s. That was an original uh, translation from uh, Dr. Al Sadler, who had uh, been a, an amazing trans, translator of uh, Asian uh, arts and, and artifacts. And uh, this was something that was written, I guess, the samurai culture, you know, you're looking at 700 years of vel- development, but a couple hundred years into that, this guy decided to document their training program. And so uh, I took that, Oxford University uh, had the rights uh, to Sadler's work and they gave me uh, the copyright access for that. So that's where that came from. And I did it because I was teaching at Johns Hopkins at the time in the graduate school. And I was trying to um, bring some uh, evidence and some archeological support for these new ways of looking at leadership. I did not know it was going to take off into over a dozen languages and I was going to start speaking on this topic. And, uh, but that's what happened. And so that's when I got pulled into business because I really didn't know I wasn't really an intention of mine. Mm -hmm. So that's been a great, that's been a great book. I mean, even today, I went like during COVID, I, I, I developed the becoming samurai online training program which I never would have done, but I, like I'm in my cigar room here, I turned it into a studio because okay. you're in quarantine for a year. What are you going to do? Right. Right. And uh, so I learned how to do filming and green screening and special effects and all that. So um, yeah, I just, just put it online and it's timeless. You know, when you look at, you know, the samurai model and the symbologies, it's in like a lot of our movies, a lot of our television shows. I mean, I was watching Star Wars, some of their spinoffs, and it was like, there we go. There's another samurai symbol. Um, so it somehow has permeated us for a while. So I enjoyed uh, doing it, but I was also fascinated with its application and leadership. Uh, the other book was totally different. That was uh, just an accident from a climbing expedition I was doing with uh, Chris Warner. It was a co-author, and, and that was a... Um, we were doing a hot, we were supporting a Johns Hopkins research program, program but part of it was uh, climbing the highest stack of volcano in the world. And, you know, climbing is a stupid sport in the first place, but to climb an active volcano just makes it totally ridiculous. And um, it was about 20,000 feet, just, just shy 20,000 feet, the summit. And I can't do it anymore because where I'm, where I was standing is now blown up. So that, the volcano has erupted. Fortunately, we were off before it happened. And that's where I met Chris Warner, who was leading the expedition. And he had, he's led some of the most epic uh, climbs in history. So he, um, 
He's you like it's like if CNN calls uh, a Chris because there's a mountaineering disaster, then you see him on TV a lot. So I, this expedition gave me an idea. Like, why don't we study how humans lead in death zones? You know, so with like above eight thousand meters, where they don't care about motivational speakers anymore. They don't care about best-selling books. Right. They're in a an environment of um, of total death. I mean, it's just that's what I call it a death zone. So he agreed to do this experiment with me, and um, NBC just by coincidence um, wanted Chris to attempt K two for the third time because he had failed twice before. And um, K2 is the most dangerous mountain in the world. It's almost as high as Everest, but it's it's a different mountain because Everest is mostly a hike, you know, you're mostly walking, uh, you know, trekking up uh, hills, but K2 is a technical climb all the way up. So the death rate's about 10 times higher than Everest. And, um, I, and so we thought, wow, this is great. We can do the book while NBC is filming and now we've got we can do this live. So the book was actually done live. The only problem was NBC couldn't find a cameraman. They were all busy. Oh no! <laughs> Nobody wanted to risk a thirty percent death uh, rate to get a film I done. I can't so. say I blame them. I can't. <laughs> say I, <blame> them. <laughs> I know. I know. So uh, Chris and his team self filmed it and was nominated for I think over ten Emmy awards or something crazy. Wow! Um, but we used the filming and. And we were connected via satellite, so we could write as he's climbing. It was a fabulous experiment hmm. in literature because we were now doing the book live because <clears throat> he's on the Death Mountain. I mean, he's you know their bodies and torsos floating up, and and he's you know risking his life. And I'm back in my living room having a glass of wine, but it was a <laughs> a risk I was willing to take, and. Uh, <laughs> so, so we did the book and it was, it was a fabulous book. So the book is really um, a different way of looking at leadership and the dangers of it. We learned a lot. It was really a great, great experiment. So what would you say are the, you know, top few things for, for our listeners that are listening now and thinking, why does this pertain to me in the world of business? I'm an entrepreneur. I'm out there. I'm, I'm killing it. You know um, mm. you know, what, what do you think the things are that, uh, that, you know, you've learned that might be helpful to them. Well, one of the th things is the, um, whenever he was pulling dead climbers off of mountains, one of the things we noticed is they were always clutching their tools. Mm -hmm. And he found that a lot of these climbers didn't need to die. Uh, they were just, um, they got seduced by their tools and, and they failed to listen to their guides and, you know, a lot of reasons, um, Plus unnecessary death. I found the same thing when I started doing autopsies of companies. You know, they were always clutching their tools as well. You know, you need the tools. The tools are cool. The tools are great and they're fabulous. But are you, are you and your people using those tools or are those tools using you? Hmm. Because if they're using you, now you could be just another autopsy for me. Uh, and that's, I don't want to do that. Right. So it's, it, it's, it's funny. That's, so that's one of the things we learned. The other thing we learned was, um, in fact, it's, it's funny. You I, I just started this book, writing this book like 48 hours ago. And, um, and the, the concept came to me from a guy named Mark Levy. If you know Mark Levy, he's a brand guy. Are you familiar with Simon Sinek? Yes. And so, okay. 
he's the guy that helped save Simon. And, and so he's, so he's my coach too. So, um, the, so the brand, um, for me was, uh, it's, it's called dare to win and lose powerfully. And the distinction that came out of my work with Mark was we teach a lot about winning and not a lot about losing. Mm. And yet it's losing, which is where the power is. That's right. And yeah, so that's a whole new thing. So getting back to your, your point, a lot of it is that um, we don't, we don't, when you look at these, these successful entrepreneurs, right? I mean, they've, they've changed their industries. They're the top of the game. You look at, you know, Richard Branson or Elon or, you know, Steve Jobs. I mean, you go through the whole list and, and all the authors show up to write the books and what they did great, what they did well, what, you know, all that, but they missed the whole point because what got them there was the suffering. Mm. You know, it was the risk. It were the failures. It was, it was all the, the losses. And, and what we found when we did the autopsies of dead companies, but also looking at live successful companies was really looking at what they did in the area of losing. So, so this new thing that we're starting now is we have to teach losing hmm. how to lose powerfully, right? Because that's where you learn, you grow, you adapt and you move forward. So, yeah. So that's another, another piece of advice I'd say. I, I love that, that because, you know, as you, as you go through, you know, any of these entrepreneurial journeys, mm -hmm. I mean, it really is the, mm -hmm you know, getting, getting knocked on your ass that, that gets you back up. Right. And it's that getting back up and pulling yourself up. That really is, is the stuff that separates the, uh, the wheat from the chaff, I think, yeah. you know, yes. um, and, um, yeah, I, I think that's spot on. And it's so cool that, that you learn that in the context of, uh, you know, hiking and mountains and all this other stuff, you know, right. that's another thing that's so interesting about you listening to you is like, how you've connected all these different experiences, life experiences, and brought them back to the world of business. You know, in my mm -hmm. world, I'm a musician and I, that's how I, uh, the lens that I look through uh, as it comes to the world of business, right? And marrying creativity with the world of business and seeing things differently than most. Uh, yeah. It sounds like you have a, although very different background than mine, uh, it sounds like you kind of look through the same lens in a way. Yeah, yeah, because, you know, I, I kind of, it was just an accident. I just started studying our species. So I, did, I didn't know it would end up where I'd, you know, be traveling a couple hundred thousand miles a year and, and giving speeches and doing workshops. But it was, um, it, for me, it was fun. You know what I mean? It was like, I didn't know where I was going. I just knew there were a lot of CEOs, uh, you know, struggling and questioning and and I was bringing an integrative, scientific, uh, evidence-based approach to which is what I did in planetary studies and biomedical engineering and AI and all the things I was doing over the years. So for me, it wasn't it wasn't anything new. It was just normally what I did. So stumbling onto these these uh, these secrets or these unusual approaches that were validated not only medically but validated for, throughout history. Uh, was just really cool. And I think it's just fun to discover these things and apply them and, you know, help help people live more powerful lives from it. Oh, it makes sense. Now, we've talked a lot about CEOs, but let's talk about the rest of the organization. Let's talk about somebody who might be more junior, who's who's mm -hmm. coming up right now and, and listening to this saying, 
you know, all right, well, I hear you on the CEO thing, but what about me? You know, uh, how does this pertain to me? Any advice you might give to somebody maybe starting their career? You know, it, it depends on where you want to go. You know what I mean? Because if, if you're on middle management and there's an expertise and there's a, uh, just a, a, a a place where you're having fun and you're excelling, uh, you want to focus on that. If you want to become an executive, it's, that's a whole different agenda, you right. know, and, you know, do you have the level of, of thinking necessary to do that? What I found in a lot of displacement of promoted executives is um, there was a psychiatrist, the late psychiatrist, Dr. Elliot Jacks at uh, Hopkins had discovered this part of the brain that determines whether you can be an executive. And it had to do with uh, your complex thinking capacity. Right. You know, could you think in complex ways where you could look out five years, 10 years, lead a project that long? Most people can't, you know, and the last thing you want to do is get into a situation where you're now responsible for a three-year project and you have no idea what to do. Right. Because that's going to be a problem. Um, however, there's, there's other things too. Once you realize that's an agenda you want, then... I think it's helpful for everyone to try to think strategically because a lot of times when I see um, collisions inside companies or, you know, political uh, subterfuge, it's usually from strategic confusion. Mm. So everybody's arguing about what's the best. It's, it's sort of like they're throwing tactical arguments at each other. And when we get in there and say, look, just suspend that for a moment. What does winning mean and how are you going to do it? It changes the whole context. Now they can come back to their problems and their decisions differently and, and have good, good debate for innovative results instead of territorial conflict. Yeah, that makes no, that no, makes perfect sense. I guess, you know, let, let's stay on that for a second. Territorial conflict and, you know, political agendas. I mean, you see this far too often. I agree with you. A lot of times it stems from whether it's strategic confusion or just confusion in general. <laughs> um, <laughs> right. I, I think. Um, yeah. But but the you know, why do you think people spend so much time on politicking versus you know, doing great things. Uh, I, I'm curious, you know, from someone like you who, who has spent so much time, you know, exploring the mind. <laughs> Why do you think that is? Oh, uh, well, I think, I think um, it's interesting. Genetic warfare is a very selfish um, based strategy because you have to, in, I mean, to participate in it, you have to have a selfish based strategy. Yeah. So I think it's a matter of aligning everyone to a more of a common cause. And that's where the suicide comes from. Like when we work with executive teams and middle management teams is, you know, what are you going to die for? Because if you can't get the ego out of the way, uh, you will, you will sabotage your execution speed by 50%. And we measure this, we measure this for 30 years it, and it ranges from 20 to 80%, average 50%. You're going to, so it's going to, half your time will be wasted in bullshit. <laughs> <laughs> Clear. <laughs> and a lot of it comes from that instinctive reaction to, to win selfishly. But this is where the leader has to invoke, um, it's a thing we stole from the Vikings, a compelling saga, you know, something that we can all, like, what's the formidable challenge ahead of us? where we need each other right you know what i mean because if you need each other you're not going to fight with them 
That's right. Okay. And, uh, and so there has to be this belief of need for each other where we're willing to do two things that's not taught in any um, corporate uh, training program. And that is to suffer and sacrifice together. Right. So when we're able to get a team to take on a challenge where they need each other and they're willing to suffer and sacrifice, make it happen. Oh my God, they're unstoppable. I mean, they're energized or fall. I mean, it's just, it's, it's amazing. So I think a lot of the infighting is just from the lack of that. Yeah. Well, I tell you some of the best, uh, most successful times in, in my career and or my life, whether it is in the music setting or it's, uh, you know, on, on a stage or it's on the, you know, global stage in the world of business, it mm-hmm. doesn't really matter, but it's when, you know, everybody finds, you know, their place and, and sees a higher you know, uh, higher vision, if you will, or surrounding. Uh, uh, and it gives you that collective, like, Hey, we're in this together. Let's go for it. I mean, yeah. so if, if what you're saying completely resonates with me. Um, so Don, let me ask you this, right. You're, you've had so many different, uh, career paths. You've, you've been, uh, an author. What do you like to do for fun? Uh, nowadays, <laughs> you know, I'm a chronic learner and, um, I'm having the most fun when I'm learning something that I never knew before. <laughs> so people like say, well, you know, did you go to Europe on vacation? Cause you're not on some expedition. I'm like, yeah, but I hired this anthropologist and we went and they showed me some stuff that is not on the tour guides. And I had a ball, you know, like that. So That's I enjoy awesome. doing that. I, you know, so I, uh, yeah, I've kind of been blessed in that I, the work that I do, I, I enjoy doing. And it's a lot of fun. I mean, there's there's some hard times when you're trying to uh, start a new project and get things rolling, as you know, because yeah. you know, you're an entrepreneur yourself and what you're doing. So you have those moments. But yeah, that's what I do. Oh, that's fantastic. And, um, you know, what what's next? You mentioned you're, you're writing another book. Uh, any uh, sneak yeah. peeks here on what's next? Uh, sure. Yeah, they, yeah they, it's uh, like I said, I just started this hours ago. <laughs> Um, but I have a lot of content, so I'm hoping to have a manuscript uh, somewhat ready for uh, editorial, maybe in about a week, week and a half. It's called Dare to Win and Lose Powerfully. And really, the whole flow is to is to look at what is what does that winning mean? And, and it's interesting. I'm, I'm looking. It'd be interesting to have your opinion on this too. One of the en- opening chapters is, you know, like entrepreneur is not a course; it's a curse. <laughs> <laughs> I like it. Yeah, it's true. Uh, right? I mean, who's going to sacrifice everything and take a risk and mortgage the house? And, you know, it's like, God, that's, you know, it's, we don't teach that. We, we teach it as something sexy. He's like, no, man, it sucks. You better be ready. <laughs> you have to be crazy in order to go down this path. You have to be there. Yes. There has to be some screw loose up there yes. somewhere. <laughs> so I'm with you. Yeah. So that's what we're going to do. And then we'll get into losing the power of losing, you know, and then refer back to, you know, the great entrepreneurs and their history of losses and what they learn and how it made them stronger. And then, and teach people to lose powerfully because that'll create their winning. Yeah, no, it, it's so interesting. And, and um, I'm so glad to hear, to, to hear that you're going down this path because you know, when I, you know, listen to people out there who uh, don't appreciate 
right? Um, you know, how hard it is to get right. there. And then there's this FOMO. We are all living in the world of FOMO, right? right. And, you know, on one hand, that's a, that's a cute thing. On another hand, it creates a lot of negative energy and vibes, especially in young people too, right? They, yeah. They're always judging themselves by someone else. Uh, mm -hmm. But if they understood that if, you know, the, any losses or problems that they're facing is actually part of their learning, you know, right. that's all just part of the journey in it. And that's how yeah. you're going to win, you know? So yeah. I, I love, I love this approach, Don. I'm so glad uh, you, you chose to, uh, to join us at Success at Scale here today. Yeah. Um, let me ask you one, one last question, actually two questions. Mm -hmm. One, what didn't I ask you today that I probably should have? And how would you have answered that? That's, that's question number one. Maybe how do I apply death in my own life? Ooh, now that's the deepest one so far. So how would you answer it? <laughs> well, I, I, I couldn't get to where I was if I didn't let things die so readily. That would hold me back. And, I, you know, I do suck at it at times. I'm not perfect at it. But there are times when I had to let go of something, you know, that I feel like, hey, if I hang one of this, I'm not going to learn. I'm not going to get to that next level. So that's how I apply it. That's an interesting one. And that's a tough one, too, right? Because, mm -hmm. you know, in the world of business, you, you might say, oh, well, if I let go, I'm quitting. I'm giving up too easy. I'm yeah. Right. And then, you know, that's a tough one. Yeah. yeah. Interesting. Yeah. So yeah. you must grapple with that like the rest of us. Yes. <laughs> Multiple times a day. I love it. I love it. Well, Don, uh, really a pleasure. Where can listeners find you online? That's my last question. Where can we find a little bit more about you? Sure. I, I'm trying to put everything on one site to make it easy for, you know, if you're an employee in a career or you're an entrepreneur or see a and it's sagaleadership.com. It's a, we stole it from the Vikings, S-A-G-A leadership.com. And um, yeah, that's probably a good place to start. All right. Sounds good. Well, Don, thank you again for joining us at Success at Scale and uh, uh, lots of great things to learn from you. So honored that, that you came to join us here today. Oh, thank you. Um, and uh, until we see you all uh, next time, thanks for joining us and uh, well, go get them out there. And I'm right. going to give you one of these. Peace. All right. Thank you. Peace right. to you. <laughs>